Create, connect, communicate. Create, connect, communicate. Magical, enigmatical, gift of gab, super, agile, story, from the space Come, well lit. I got something for you. Yeah? On behalf of the Hong Kong nation, foreign minister, I will present you this Liberate Hong Kong Revolution of Our Times passport. Wow, this is amazing passport. Don't bring it to Hong Kong, otherwise you'll get like three years free lunch and dinner. That's very nice of the government. Yes. They'll give me free lunch and dinner yes. and a place to stay, I heard. Yes, and some exercise time. And, <laughs> and a couple hours of exercise time. Yep. So this is a Liberate Hong Kong Revolution of Our Times blue passport. The design of this actually is based on the 1997, the passport that was before 1997. Okay. When I was a teenager, I applied once and when I clean my house, I accidentally found it. And I look at that thing, I was like, wow. Because at the front, it, it, it was written British passport. Mm. Now, most Hong Kongers, they get the BNO, which is standing for British National Overseas. Because Hong Kong was a British colony. And th this is why a lot of Hong Kongers can go to live in UK right now, mm -hmm. much easier than coming to Taiwan. And 1997 was the handover that's right it was kind of more like a annexation <laughs> <laughs> so handover is not the correct word the communist party uh, uh, great in terms of uh, creating um, make-believe words that deceive people <laughs> words are very powerful that's right that's why right. we have to learn proper english <laughs> nice nice plug exactly <laughs> <laughs> so you won't be fooled by someone telling you, oh, you're returning to your motherland, that kind of bullshit. <laughs> it really is about words, right? The semantics. and Exactly. Because uh, now looking back many, like 30 years ago, the whole spirit of the time of the Hong Kong was basically lied to, right? They were, the terminology they were using was you know, returning to the like, country, one country, two systems, mm. and then way um, way. Mm -hmm. so how, how it's like the sea turtles. Yeah, it's like back. yeah, it's like a sea turtle coming right, back. Right. Like you, like you're supposed to come back. So, so once they use that kind of word and and then repeat it like trillion times, you start believing it and start from a young age. That That's helps right. too, and right? the brainwashing. But of course, many years later, as we uh, start to kind of cultivate our own identity and rediscover our heritage, we find out hey, Hong Kong is Hong Kong, China is China. It's basically two different systems. Mm. As a matter of fact, the Hong Kong system is older than the Kuomintang plus the Communist Party. Right. Hong Kong was found like 1841. Right. <laughs> it, was, right. it was the older system. Yeah, the British were in Hong Kong for, I think, over 150 years? 100, yeah, 170 now. I mean, wow. if you count that that long. So that's why for me coming to Taiwan, yes, I mean, yeah, when we look at the people on the street, we share similar DNA, but the ways of thinking as well as the, the law system, you know, many, many 
small things mm. that, that I notice are, are different, right. which make Hong Kong very unique in the world. Yes, exactly. So, yes, let me uh, introduce Mr. Casey Wong here. Casey Wong is a Hong Kong visual artist and educator. Uh, he was formerly an assistant professor at the School of Design, Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Uh, we may get into that as well because that university played a pretty important role. In well, the fam recent, well famous now. In the recent uh, <laughs> protest, exactly. It, it has uh, earned some uh, acclaim and uh, <laughs> recently for some... Some interesting reasons so we will definitely get into that if we can casey has been educated at cornell university chelsea college of arts royal melbourne institute of technology i think earning a phd is that right it's a doctor of fine arts doctor of fine yeah. arts okay he has traveled around the world he studied around the world he has done art um, and engaged in kind of professional artistic practice in architecture graphic design interior design uh things like this so this is the superstar himself. No, 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 no. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. For Actually, for I, missed, in. I missed speaking in English. Yeah, I think you've done a few podcasts here uh, in Chinese, I guess. Yeah, in Mandarin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which sometimes I made a fool of myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, I mean, you grew up in Hong Kong. So obviously your first mother tongue was Cantonese. That's right. Right. So how does your Mandarin language skills compare to your, your Cantonese? Well, my Mandarin, I ran into a lot of troubles before mm. when I was in Hong Kong because most Hong Kong, my generation, I'm like 52 right now. We don't need to speak Mandarin. It is when after mainland China opens up and then there's starting to be more and more kind of cross-cultural uh, exchange. Mm in the education sector you know, we run into people who speak mandarin right such as like teachers coming in mm. and then we have to host them and then we try to communicate with them and then we find out they have like zero english skills right and then when you when i try to speak cantonese to them they like they understand jack shit right <laughs> and of course then i started to speak uh english then they like actually gave me this nasty look like, what are you doing what speaking kind of the devil's tongue? That's right. What kind of people are you? Colonial like slaves? Anyways, so um, after running into this kind of uh, uh, communication problem, I decided mm. to study it properly as a tool, mm. right? Because I realized it's, a, it's an important tool, just like why people study English when I was young. Mm. They don't really like worship British culture as a, as a uh, you know, way to survive mm. in the job market, for example, mm -hmm. or, or just daily usage. So staying along this topic about uh, language and then culture as well, which is very intertwined with that, I believe at the age of 14, you were sent to Long Island in the United States. That's right. Strong Island. Strong Island. Exactly. <laughs> so how was that experience as a 14 year old kid from Hong Kong? I do not recommend it to any kids. <laughs> Okay, it's a horrible experience, <laughs> especially when I, I wasn't coming from a like, well-educated background. I know I was like studying in this kind of gangster's high school in, in Hong Kong and then suddenly got transposed into this suburban American lifestyle. Yeah. So my English was really, really poor back then. The way I learned English is I uh, imitated those uh, TV anchors. 
Oh, okay. Like, yeah, like, like the news anchors. Yeah, the news anchors. So I just watch them, whatever they say. Very proper English. Yeah, this is CBS. Brought to you by ABC. <laughs> Breaking news. Breaking news. <laughs> they have all these wonderful, crazy accents. And, and this sounds like authoritative. And then it's like, you want to be like them. <laughs> so did you announce your arrival in Strong Island? <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. My name is Grand Wong. Grandmaster Wong <laughs> from Hong Kong. Ding dong. <laughs> Oh boy, all oh, these God. cheesy joke, bad memories. Yeah, and Ching Chong. <laughs> oh God, please. <laughs> That's what we grew up with. That's what I grew up in oh, Southern California. You too? Is, oh, I, I, everyone, you got that too? everyone called me Ching Chong. Oh, even fuck. <laughs> Uh, see, see, that's that's why we ended up in here <laughs> to try to run away from that. Yeah, especially Long Island at that time must have been predominantly white. Oh yes, yes. At first, I couldn't tell their nationality or ethnic origins. Mm. For me, it's they're just like white, right? Just white guy and white girls, <laughs> right? And then, especially my my high school only have like uh, one or two black people. So, so yeah, it was predominantly white. But as I progress, then I started to realize, hey, wait a minute, they're like me because their last name already uh, like told me of their origin. Like mm. for example, I have a good friend, his last name is Lobacaro. Mm. And then the way they talk, they talk, talk like Godfather people. Oh yeah, a lot of uh, Italian Americans. <laughs> yeah, they're already second generation, third generation, but they still have this hustle kind of accent and tonality. And then I also like uh, have other friends such as uh, Smith, mm. right? They are like very British uh, kind mm. of Irish background. I realize actually we are all descendants of some kind of immigrants, right? Right. It's, and that's what America is about. Exactly. It's about this uh, civic nationalism. Mm -hmm. So it's not bound by your DNA. Right. It's not like, okay, I'm black, you're black, I'm white, you're white, and we are family. It's not like that. It's like, I don't care where you're from, what creed and breed you're from, but if we believe in the similar political beliefs, right, these right, values, these values, then we are together mm -hmm. as a nation. Exactly. Yeah, so which is which I like a lot. So what were the biggest lessons or memories you have now looking back on those early days? Because you started out joking that you wouldn't recommend it to anyone <laughs> being transplanted from a place like Hong Kong. Right. And then suddenly going to this weird location of Strong Island. Yes. But do you have some fond memories of those times or how do you think it contributed to your development as a man? I think because of language limitation in the beginning, because language to master some kind of basic language takes about four or five years. Yes, so exactly. So don't believe in any commercial. Learn any foreign language in like in thirty days. Thirty days or your money back. Or money back. Call one eight hundred. Like it doesn't work like no, that. Takes a lot of dedication and time. Yeah, but time before you finally can freely communicate yourself, doesn't mean you're not thinking, right? You're still using your original language, wherever you come from, to uh, kind of sort things out internally. So now looking back, that period of time, is like a time of solitude. Mm. It's like being uh, in a temple and not a lot of people around and, and you spend a lot of time with yourself and the stars, which lays the foundation of self-reflections as an aspiring young artist, requires mm. right? you need to kind of reflect a lot and kind of talk to yourself a lot those are 
the necessary ingredients for any artist. I love that you are mentioning this as an aspiring artist. You were only, you know, 14 years old. But I didn't, I didn't know that when I was 14 years okay, old. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was, <laughs> was going to ask you that. So when did you first get this kind of artistic itch? And how did it happen? Or did this happen by accident? I, I got it much later when mm. I got into Cornell. Because, you know, when I was in Cornell, I was studying architecture. I was doing Bachelor of Architecture. Mm. And of course, I was like very, very happy that I got into like Ivy League school, which I don't, yeah. I don't think my language or my academia really deserve. <laughs> but my, but my artistic skills deserved. Okay, okay, so that I, got you in. Yeah, I got in with the lowest uh, SAT score, <laughs> lowest possible. It's lowest a world record. Possible. I was falling asleep when I was taking the test. <laughs> Anything is possible, young people. Yeah, look that at me, man. I'm, I'm a living, <laughs> living, legend. breathing example. Yeah. yeah, because when I got into Cornell and I would start starting to talk with my other Hong Konger, and then I find out, wait a minute, they're all from like Aristotelic school, and then right, um, these boarding schools, boarding these British school. boarding schools, and then you know they like, oh, watch SAT score, and then one by one, one by one, and I was like, shit, it's my turn. What should I? What should I say? <laughs> You know, they won't believe it. <laughs> they would think I probably bribed my way in. <laughs> so this is, so don't give up, mm. right? That the point is, although academia is so much about, oh, what kind of scores you got, and what kind of scores you got in exams, that kind of thing. But we all have different source of talents. Maybe you can like, I don't know, break dance or, or you can draw something or you can do an app. You know, the world have changed. And I was fortunate that when I was interviewing for the architecture school, I have to go to New York and then went to an architect's office to be interviewed by this architect. And, and I think through my portfolio, they saw you know, my possibilities. Mm, your potential. My potential, because I do a lot of, uh, I did a lot of extra career activities in high school. Okay. For, for example, I illustrate for the newspaper, I decorate a prom, mm -hmm. you know, drawing backdrops and all that. So I think um, they can see my potential that way. And also I did a, I did an intro to architecture program at the Pratt. Oh yeah, that's right. We our, our our paths cross because I taught at Pratt for about two years before actually going out to Beijing. Right. Um, and then when we talked the first time, we realized that wow, we were at the same school. You yeah. were there a lot earlier than I was yes. back in the old days. But you were at the Brooklyn campus. That's right, Brooklyn, the planet. Wow, <laughs> it was a kind of a, a, a scary place back I know, then because <laughs> Pratt. I don't know if people know that. I mean, it's a very prestigious art school, especially kind of interior design, architecture, especially those fields. And the the campus itself is very beautiful, right? With these kind of very old uh, buildings. Yeah. But the neighborhood that it's located in wow. is tough. Tough neighborhood. It's rough. And especially in your day, I think. Yes, yes. Everybody were packing lead back then. Packing more than books. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think it's important to locate your resource and diversify. You know, when you're within like that kind of high school system, mm -hmm. high, high school program. I think right now, uh, a good education does that. And, and also the way of learning is so different than 30 years ago. Now, if uh, small things, you can always learn by yourself. Right. Through uh, watching a lot of YouTubes. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Tutorials. Yep. We didn't have those back then. No. At all. Cassette tape, man. <laughs> Oh wow. oh, wow. People are going to have to Google that. And they're, ex they're expensive, but you cannot listen to it too much. Otherwise, you ruin the tape. Exactly. <laughs> That's the sad part. They 
degradate very quickly it in some way becomes more valuable right because right. it's like yeah it's a it's a living piece you just got to keep it in a museum or something <laughs> so that's how i got into cornell and mm. and uh thank so, good, good thank goodness once i got into cornell is uh, i don't have to deal with all these high school stupidity anymore mm. it's another level of stupidity <laughs> It's just a higher level it's, of yeah, stupidity. It's like drinking stupidity and everybody got drunk. <laughs> so especially Cornell, right? Because Cornell is upstate New York. It's in Ithaca, which is famous for their gorges, right? Oh, it's gorgeous, yes. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Um, there's uh, valleys and a famous bridge that I think people have dubbed the suicide bridge. That's right. Now they put all kind of nets underneath. A lot of uh, alumni came back and uh, jumped and, <laughs> and they tried to stop that. Wow, it's that pressure. It's that Ivy League pressure and being out <laughs> in the beautiful nature. Maybe too much self-reflection is not so good. I think, I think as, a, as a person growing up, a teenage period as well as your college period, it becomes part of this, this cementing process mm. that constructs you, right? Right. And a lot of happy time during during those those days mm. so this is why um you know, some alumni decided to end it to go back to that sweet point <laughs> <laughs> to those innocent days to the innocent days exactly um so four years up in cornell and five I, years actually five years because i uh it's still the old program you know, okay the cornell architecture takes five years right because it is a professional degree right yeah. when you graduate with yeah. the architecture degree especially Right. And during that time, we were talking, I remember last time, about your trips to New York City. Because New York City as well was a very different place from oh, what yeah. it is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you tell a little bit about your memories of New York City, Times Square or, or Times wherever? Square. Oh, I, I did it much earlier. I was like when I was in, uh, in Pratt. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Like okay. uh, two of my friends, uh, one Vietnamese guy, the other was uh, Czech, Czechoslovakia, okay. uh, de uh, or uh, descendant. And, and we venture into like 42nd Street. to uh, <laughs> From Dangerous Pratt to... Yeah, we climb the fence <laughs> because they have this law that you can go out like uh, at a certain time. So the Vietnamese guy is a karate black belt and, you know, we are all like four funds and <laughs> like two Asian and one white guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, bad influence. <laughs> that means that at that time Pratt had a closed campus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They literally closed the gates on you guys. Yeah. So, but it, I mean, the, the fences was actually quite high. It's like a one one and a half story high. We just kind of climb it and then flip. Wow. <laughs> Ninja Turtle style. Ninja tur <laughs> so because I, are... I always already trained when I was uh, in high school. I study uh, Shotokan. Karate. Karate. Yeah, mm. And also jujitsu and judo. You were well trained and well prepared for that fence. 42nd Street. <laughs> Get to that <laughs> destination. Get my fake ID and uh, go see some uh, like triple X stuff. <laughs> yeah. So those were some very colorful days in Times Square. Nowadays, oh, yeah, yeah. it's like uh, Disneyland for the rich. But yes. back in those days, it was seedy and oh, shady. Oh, seedy and shady. I still remember. Nation of Islam was like preaching at the subway. They, they dress really weird and, right. and like really raw and, and uh, homeless people everywhere. And uh, you, know, you can buy all kinds of things like weapons and switchblades and fake ID. You know, it's, wow. it's, it's, it's kind of like the ultimate teenager imaginative crime site. <laughs> it's like Grand Theft Auto yeah, on crack. Yeah, like this is how you can grow up, like speed up your age. <laughs> <laughs> from uh, no, 16 years old, suddenly you become 26. <laughs> now you all know why Casey is the way he is. 
<laughs> Those were the days. Yeah, because uh, Hell's Kitchen as well is if you just go towards the pier, I'm sure that was even more dangerous. Yeah, yeah, and I think that the the whole eighties is a is a very interesting time. You know, if you think about it, like Rambo and mm. and 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 all those、um, Asian frenzy, right? Like right? Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee from Hong Kong, Shanghai,、yeah. and and、uh, like Karate Kid. Yeah, right. It's coming、right. back now with the. The Netflix, <laughs> right? Just like Tom Cruise just came back with a top gun. They never die. <laughs> you just put it in the bottle for a long time, and then thirty years later they come back.、It、can make even more money. <laughs> so the whole adventure was great. And then we went into like a two-story、uh, triple X place. Oh, really?、Uh, two-story. Yeah, two stories, and then we pretend we are like adult. <laughs> of course, they know we are not. You know, especially Asian have this baby face. Baby face, like, Casey. <laughs> Two Asian like walking with a white tall guy with daddy white daddy. <laughs> oh God! And then we went there. You know, the, the bottom level was all、uh, VHS <laughs> boxes of VHS. You you all might have to Google that VHS <laughs> VHS tape. You no, know, with like dirty movies that you can like buy and、uh, take home to watch later on, and then Just degrade it over and over. <laughs> And and then there's like these stairs you go upstairs and then and then there is a really strange architecture because I was already a, a kind of、uh, architecture student back、mm. then, so I pay attention to the layout of this. So that's what you were doing. It was <laughs> that's what got me into architecture. Scholarly research. <laughs> yeah. Now I think people who research this kind of thing would appreciate what I say. <laughs> yeah, because they all vanished into memory. It's and, true. We went into the second level. Before we do that, we have to、uh, buy a token. It's a really big, fat silver coin thing.、Hmm. And then, like the New York City subway, they used to have tokens as well, right? But this one is like super big and fat. It's almost like a cookie. And then in the center of the、uh, second story is this circular room, really strange. And then there's all these chairs, like a bar layout, and then but the chair all facing the wall of this circular、uh, room. And on the kind of eye level of the chair, there's a hole. <laughs> It's the peep show. A peep show.、Yeah. So to peep means to kind of look through your fingers. You're covering your face, and you just do a little peekaboo. Peekaboo. Yeah. So so please tell me, Casey, what did you see when you were peeping? Through this little hole, what was on the other side? Well, I didn't do it right away because、uh, you know I'm kind of VIP, right?、I、go into the private room <laughs> first. But on my way out, I did、uh, take a look at the public place, the peephole, and actually I, I peeped through the hole, and there's this uh, uh, nice lady uh, dancing naked. A nice woman, nice woman, and、uh, she's like dancing in the in the middle, and kind of nice. Wow! So she's dancing in the middle, and <laughs> but, but I bet it's it's kind of embarrassing, right? Because yeah, because like you are like somebody sitting next to you, <laughs> and then he he is peeping too, peeping, peeping through peeping his too. own hole, and then he's like, I'm peeping at him. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine it could be very embarrassing. Oh, so they don't have like dividers between no, no, the men? No dividers. Oh, no privacy. Area. No privacy. Come on. Wow! But you have your own little peephole, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like some serious voyeurism, yeah, three sixty、well, degrees. That's kind of lower class stuff. Okay, <laughs> lower class people go to the peep, peep show, <laughs> but like the important people like me, 
important teenager like me go to the private room. So the private room are kind of like you know, there's like different ladies standing outside. It's kind of like an interrogation room. Yeah, like wow. the, the different detectives <laughs> standing outside. Right? It's like come on, baby, that kind of thing. Wow. I still remember the song, the background song. Really, it's the whole place is like, yeah, it's coming back now. The whole place was pumping music. It's like, push it, baby, push it. Push it. Oh God! You sure this? You sure this podcast should be broadcast? Anyways, so it's like it's like really loud and the super bass, and then there's like three ladies, and then I choose one that is like best looking, and uh, she was like a black bra and nice laundrette, and you know, I went in. Okay, if you want to listen more, please deposit the money into the following account. Shaching. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, anyways, oh, welcome back, and. So I went in to the room, right? And there's this glass. It's exactly like uh, those、uh, detective interrogation room. Wow!、And、like a one-way glass. Yes. Yeah. It's like one. Of course, this is not one way, as、right. you can see me too. Okay. And then, like, we're separated by this glass, and then suddenly we have this private moment.、Mm. And then I notice there's like a phone, <laughs> like when you're going to the prison.、Oh, wow. There's a phone. And then she kind of acknowledged me to pick up the phone, so I can like talk to her. Wow! <laughs> so I look at that phone. The first thing in my mind is like, is that phone dirty? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Asian. It's the Asian thing. Exactly. <laughs> Spray a little alcohol. Oh, no, there's no alcohol back then. Not back then, no masks. <laughs> no, no masks. Alcohol. No alcohol. It's very intimate. <laughs> so I pick up the phone, and then she's like, "Hey, what do you want me to do?" On demand, on demand, <laughs> a real living person, a real, real living like babe in front of you through the glass. So I don't know what I want her to do. <laughs> I was just kind of like just told her to dance and like told her to take off her tops. <laughs> Wait, how old are you at this time? I was just like seventeen,、uh, I think eighteen. I don't remember. It's about that age. That must have been very yeah. My heart was pumping. Anyways, so wow. So um, oh, I, I, some important uh, uh point I, I forgot to、uh, point out is、mm. I went into the room. The glass wasn't there. There was a such a such a gate. Oh, okay. That that was closed. And then I noticed, besides the phone, there's like a deposit hole, like a telephone, like public telephone. Okay, that's where you put the big fat coin in. I see.、And、the you cookie. Your, yeah, the cookie. You put big fat coin in, and then the, the gate will slowly open, revealing the pretty revealing, lady. Okay. Behind the glass. The, the intimate interaction. Wow, this is like. Very architectural. Yeah, this whole architecture. To learn from this、here. is this architectural sequence is like building up tension. You understand? Exactly. It's like, and then it encourages you to put more coins <laughs> because <laughs> the gate will close <laughs> after a while. Wow, it's all timed. That architect should have won the Pritzker Prize. <laughs> <laughs> Not that easy. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, those those were the like fun adventure days. So、no. those were the first days where you could learn some architecture in the field, <laughs> as well as enjoying some pretty lady dancing, <laughs> some human architecture, human I mean, architecture,、right? yeah. Right. Like, so, so these kind、it's、of all art. 
burn into your brain. Exactly. <laughs> Very deep. Influences. Before you go to Cornell, <laughs> get the Ivy Ivy League education. <laughs> you learn it from the street, Forty Second Street. <laughs> so, do you think those experiences prepared you well for these? Five years at Cornell. <laughs> no, not really. Not because, at all. Because this is like you no know, very the, the the street education is very uh, human touch and common sense, right? Mm. Um, the high school education is very brutal and very uh, sometimes violent. Right. Once I got into Cornell, it was in terms of language, it was totally different. The, the people in there, the professors, they're almost like guards. The way they yeah. talk. Yes. The vocabulary they use. Sometimes I only get like seventy percent of what they're trying to say. The other thirty percent are like vocabularies, jargon. Yeah, I never heard of. Sometimes they make up stuff. <laughs> right. You know, they're like Germans. Yeah. They glue two or three words together to create a new words. new words, and then like you don't you can't find that in the dictionary. Right. 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 Especially these kind of architectural terms. A lot of these kind of professors. When I was in Cornell, which is like a mind-boggling,、mm. but it's a wonderful experience. Not because of their ability to control language, but the way they think critically, as well as the ability to find interesting angle to talk about anything. Exactly, it's like being up with a bunch of philosophers, right? And it's a wonderful experience, and、uh, I think that changes me the most. Oh wow! So you think? That experience at Cornell in this very intellectually stimulating environment had a huge impact on your life. I, I think so. In terms of having doubt, right? Because being it's, able it's, to think critically, it's very different than Asian education or、yeah. Taiwan education. Oh, definitely. Right, and and they're not trying to teach you to be another me. Right. Yeah. Don't don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like like okay, I'm the master. You 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 are little Casey. All right. <laughs> not like that. So they're like constantly questioning you, challenging you. Whatever you're presenting is always you felt like they never tell you directly. Right. But they have to figure it out. Yeah, they're hinting at you. It's like talking to the grandmaster. You know, the white beard guy at the top of the mountain. <laughs> Right. You ask a question, and a question comes back at、yes. you. Three、a、questions come question. back. Yes,、uh, zillions of questions come back, and then you need to spend a month. And you must go to the mountains <laughs> of Ithaca for five years <laughs> and contemplate life.、Yeah. I think that's what、uh, a good college education is、yeah. about. Right. Exactly. A good teachers about that. And also, I think looking back at that、uh, period of time, the whole East Coast、uh, ways of thinking. Are very critical. They don't say nice thing, nice things. Sometimes like zero nice things, right? And they, we we all learn how to encourage students nowadays, right? To right. to guide them, to teach them. So we usually structure our、uh, ways of encouragement, saying, "Oh, that was good,、mm. but but exactly, <laughs> right? Softly, you have to deliver it nowadays. Yeah, they don't do that. <laughs> they did not do that. I mean, even in Manhattan, right? A lot of those universities, like the New School, were、yeah. filled with these dissidents from Europe. You know,、uh -huh. running away from Europe and having finally a place where they could engage in these free-flowing, deep discussions, right,、yeah. about things that they were not allowed to do back in those home countries. So yes, so I and、uh, Cornell, of course, have a, a bunch of those、uh, professors. One of my、uh, teacher was was、uh, used to be staff of the Alpha Auto. Architects in from Europe, and、uh, the whole school is very Corbusian、mm, back then. The Corbusier, the Corbusier, yes, back, back in the nineties. The God Himself, 
Yeah, so a lot of theory, architectural theory, right. as well as uh, architectural criticism. So I think for me, it lays a very good foundation of figuring out the meaning of the why. Mm, that's the most important thing. Why, right? Why are things like this? It doesn't matter in terms of uh, uh, having the ultimate truth, but at least you have your personal truth. And now through this self-reflection, asking why, you know, keeping on the doubt of things, then you figure out your own personal truth. Right. Isn't what education is all about? Exactly. Those who know the why can bear any how, right? That's yeah. what Nietzsche said as well. So yes. being able to figure out that kind of meaning or purpose really helps you to be able to persist through difficult times, which I think this is something that runs through your life a lot, right? Through your personal and professional life. Totally. And also, I think the, um, the way I talk a lot, I learned English that way. You know, through listening to them, listening to how these professors talk. and these brilliant thinkers. It's wonderful. You know, it's just, and, and you don't want them to stop because everything they say, you know, every, I don't know, frequency is like two or three minutes, they got something wise coming out. And right. you're like, you just listen and you grow. And so, it's different than watching a YouTube video, right? Like being in a lecture hall with this brilliant person, there's something about that physical energy, right? Being in that lecture hall, even if there's 200 other classmates there, especially when you're young and it's, it's such an exciting feeling. It's like, I'm listening to this person live and it's amazing. Yeah, I think uh, now, of course, we have going to TED Talk and all that. So that's why it's education is a physical thing, right? Exactly. Because it's a serious thing for, um, for some people. Right. And it really is a engagement, right? A human to human engagement. Yeah. So talking and speaking and talking at the same time become a process for me. Mm. And that's what I now looking back, I, I learned it from there. So even when I'm alone nowadays, I'm like 52 now. And, and sometimes when I'm driving, I notice that uh, sometimes I will speak in English. I will use English to speak out to make sense of my mind. Okay. And it's, uh, it's very fast. Right. This way. Because when you're thinking internally, it's not clear. If you're speaking Cantonese or Mandarin, there's a lot of emotion attached to it yes. in the words. Totally. And English is such a simple tools. It somehow, through formalism or simplification of the emotional side, yeah. it becomes very... Uh, More objective, maybe. Yeah, objective. That's right. right. Exactly. We're... Do you, Chinese, do you think so? I, I totally think so. Yeah. And I really, I totally agree with you that I think the Chinese language and culture has so much of that added emotional element, that historical element, right? That it's really hard to divorce those two things. Yeah, some, because in, in, especially in Chinese, sometimes you use a lot of uh, borrowed, uh, made up uh, kind of poetic uh, right. sayings. Exactly, the like four, Yu. The yeah. four letter words, yes. <laughs> but not that one. Not that <laughs> It's a very different concept in English, yeah, the yeah. four-letter word and the, the four-character. The four-character, yeah, Changyu. Yeah, exactly. And it encapsulates so much context, right? So much kind of uh, yeah, poetry but, and art. And, yeah, mm -hmm. but those, those uh, uh, ready-made construct of language are not yours. They're not original. 100%. They are just somebody's uh, emotion uh, uh, kind of summarized into four letters. I totally agree. So there's a lot of times there's just, it stops there, right? right? There's a lack of critical thinking. It's like we say a phrase, oh, you got it. Oh, I got it. And then we understand, but there's no deeper inspection, reflection. That's right. So that's what another important thing I learned in Cornell is you must re-speak rephrase reformulate reformulate reiterate what you are saying 
Exactly. Do not use other people's uh, saliva. Right. <laughs> It's Cultivate nasty. your own. Yeah, nasty. That's nasty, right? <laughs> exactly. Using other, you become a parrot if you do that. Right. So, Don't be a parrot. That so, is. So when you when you restructure your mind using your limited capability of language, at least it's original. At least it's closer to your original thoughts. Exactly. But if you're using other people's phrases. Then it's like、uh, other people's emotion. And how、thing. can you build yourself and find your true self as a human being if you don't even have that power to control your own thoughts or or to build your it, own thoughts? Yeah, it limits your chance to discover internally. Exactly. Okay, so after these five years at Cornell, supposedly, as society tells us, you should be ready for the real world. <laughs> Nobody's ever ready for the real fucking world. <laughs> Are you cynical, Casey? Are you cynical? <laughs> yes, it's the New York thing, man. <laughs> New York fucked you up. Yeah, fucked me up big time. <laughs> so, so what happened? You, of course, got a very nice, high-paying job.、Uh, no, it's a, it was a recession back then. <laughs> oh. It's a time when you send out like fifty、uh, uh, letters and then you get no、uh, reply and then you start calling,、mm. <laughs> cold calling. Yeah, like a lot of young people might not fully, truly appreciate that, right? Because right now we're in a very difficult time again.、Right. But these have been waves; they、oh, yeah. they go up and down. And、it、you've really、working. seen some pretty big. Yeah,、ones. it was really bad in the nineties in、yeah. terms of、uh, construction and also architecture、um, business、mm. in New York. Right. So, what did you do after graduating? What what happened professionally? Well, I I spent a year working in Ithaca, and actually, I I, I helped design a bank. And、oh. many years before I went back,、um, it, it was still there. It's called a Citizen Savings Bank. Now they changed the name. And then yeah, after、yeah. that, I decided that's it, man. Maybe I should reinvent myself by、uh, moving to another place. And then I realized maybe I can go to Hong Kong. Back to Hong Kong. Yeah, but I already changed. You see. I already changed a lot. I went to Forty Second Street. I know <laughs> you saw architecture in Forty Second Street. <laughs> so I'm already not the same, Casey. I know it's gone. It's gone, gone with the wind. Gone with the wind, and then, and then I'm I'm like this white guy. I'm like fucking banana. <laughs> you became a banana. You became a banana in the United States. Yeah, outside yellow, inside white, and then banana is like bouncing back to Hong Kong. <laughs> wow. So how old were you at this time? This is already like twenty four, like something like okay, that. Okay, twenty four years old. You have twenty four. Yeah, you have nurtured yourself into a true banana, <laughs> <laughs> with with some black spots, <laughs> with some with some nice sweet black spots,、um, and then do you remember that kind of landing back in this? Home away from home, and I know home is is a theme that you deal with a lot in your art. So that's right. That's I right. I think this must be a very pivotal memory and moment for you is returning home for that first time after spending so much of those very、uh, formative years in the United States. How was that like? It was、uh, very familiar, but at the same time very foreign. And and in terms of language, like Hong Kong people, even when they speak. Yeah, it's a mixture of Cantonese and English, and a British English at yeah, that. Yeah, British English, and then like,、uh, and then switching back and forth sometimes. Yeah, and some everybody understood it. You don't have to like translate the English. But for me, it's even more difficult because by this time, I already spent like ten years in the states, and 
Of course, I in, in between I went back and forth, but only for a short time. Mm. So my mind already switched gear. Uh, internal thinking already switched switch gear. Even sometimes it would switch to Japanese sometimes mm. because I, I I did learn some Japanese. So sometimes when I want to say sorry, I sumimasen oh, came, sumimasen. came oh. out. <laughs> <laughs> so it took me a, um, a few months to readjust. So did you find work in Hong Kong or? Yeah, I did. Okay. It's, it was very easy to find works. Mm. And I was working as an architectural assistant. But, and then later on, I, I uh, started my dual career because uh, I have some contacts and they want like teaching, like part-time teaching. Mm. So I, I start teaching back then. So in okay. a way, I, I start my teaching career real early mm. yeah, as a young teacher right. in, the, in the university. So I never taught uh, uh, elementary school level or high school level. I just go right into the university level. Yeah. So how was that like uh, teaching at the university level? Of course, like in the beginning, it was uh, duplication. We always try to repeat and copy our experience mm. as a, aspiring students. And like, we have this kind of role model, like great teacher and assimilate him and assimilate her. And then the whole process, I try to like uh, simulate and of course, like readjust into the uh, local context. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't because uh, depending on where you're teaching. For example, sometimes the student's attention just doesn't have that. It takes right. it takes a while to train up, just yeah. like just like going to the gym. Yes, exactly. Right, it's a little painful at first. Like now it's even worse because people's uh, students' attention spans, including ourselves, are so short. True that social media. I mean, this technology. If you if you listen to this podcast, if you're already here, you have a still here. You're a champion. You're amazing. Yep. <laughs> There's more to come. You last that long. <laughs> And usually, usually people going cannot last that long. Exactly. But back in the old days, traditional education, like this kind of high level ed education is basically a philosophic uh, training class. Exactly. You know, you, you're, you're there like two hours, three hours. Mm -hmm. And the crits, they're so long. They last the whole fucking day. Right, right. You no, know, like nine to nine. Right. What is a crit? Can you explain that? Critique is like uh, the students draw uh, some design and then they would pin it up on the wall. It's called pin up. And then they will stand and then present their work to mm. their professors. Usually like final crit with like, like five professors in, sitting in the front. A panel. A panel. So it's totally like a firing squad feeling. Yeah. Right. And then they would like fire at you. And then you, and you must defend. You defend, block, block or counterattack. No, usually you just take it, man. <laughs> just take it. <laughs> because like they're like 100 times wiser than you. Exactly. You have to whatever know your you, enemy. Whatever you enemy. throw at them, you just make it worse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. So the, the, the critique a high level and the students are high level, right? Mm. But when you, when I went back to Hong Kong, the student wasn't like that kind of level. They didn't come from that kind of background. Right, not like New York. The, the Ivies, uh, you know, they take the top 5% of any high school. Of course. Right? Yeah. A lot of them are valedictorians and like, you know, top of the cream, except me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and so so it's easy to teach them because they're already diamonds. Right. They're already diamonds. Diamonds in the rough. Diamonds in the sand. And right. And you just gotta them, polish a little yeah, bit. Yeah, just put all, they're all diamonds. So it's easy and fun to teach them, right? Because they are self-learners. Yeah. Exactly, and they need it and want it. Yep, and don't have many options. So yeah, so once I went in back into the Hong Kong environment, I started to realize, and then I, and then I changed my uh, way of teaching. 
mm. slowly to make sure I'm fulfilling my students' needs mm. instead of my needs. Yeah, I think that's very important. That's a big evolution of a teacher, right? Yeah. So slowly, I I realize, hey, you know, I this is not military. No, I'm not like the drill sergeant. I'm not the dictator. <laughs> yeah. Although I I feel like I'm uh, in that position, but mm. there must be a better way to share knowledge. Much later, I accidentally I, I bump into a course called education psychology. Uh, this is much later when when I taught for about like eight years. I was thinking about maybe I should have kids. Okay, that <laughs> and, does it. But before I do that, I want to do it scientifically. Right, <laughs> and, and test I, it out. Yeah, I took a course called education psychology. It really taught me how to uh, teach students. And so, how did your teaching or your method or your philosophy toward education change after that? After that, I, I it changed drastically. Like before, I used I sometimes when I was teaching, I would like sometimes say things that is critical and somehow hurt students accidentally, and then they ended up don't enjoy the the learning process. It is not the content. Yeah. But it's me, all right. I was saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I wasn't assertive enough. And there was another book that was very good for any teacher. Uh, it's called "Don't Shoot the Dog Yet" mm. by a student of a B.F. Skinner. Mm. Yeah, which is a famous psychologist. Yeah, the behavior psychologist. Exactly. And this is all through positive conditioning. So it talk about the timing and the animal. <laughs> mm. I mean, we're all animals. Mm -hmm. So, so how to um, encourage? The students and shape their behavior only through positivity, right? Positive reinforcement, positive reinforcement. So I didn't have that education before, right? So I basically self-taught myself, and then my entire changing methods change, and then become very effective. And then the student love me. Yeah, finally, finally. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of fearing me, right. Right, but that is the hallmark of a great teacher, right? And then also a great educational system, which yes. is quite lacking around the world, as we know. Yeah, because they didn't in the education world, they assume if you are, are very good in your career, like for example, you're a good architect, then they assume you're a good teacher in architecture. Right, but that, that is not that is true. not the case. <laughs> this is crazy if you think about it, right? Right. I mean, the guy. It's great in architecture career because maybe he's a super slave master. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or he's just very Type A personality yeah. and takes advantage wherever he can, and that's exactly. often success in the business world. Yeah, but in the education kind of process, if you take the same process from the business side into the school, you would just ruin the school. Right. They're not very compatible, or it's very difficult to reconcile them in a very harmonious way. So, so in terms of uh, language again, then I realize oh. Uh, the language uh, have to change as well. I was talking about when I was in Cornell, uh, the professor is very critical, and and then I, I starting to add much more human concerns, human touch, in terms of uh, caring, mm. uh, that kind of uh, relationship, and start and and treat everyone individually. Right. And try to identify each student's individual needs first, rather than try to treat them like a unit where like the a same, mass. Yeah, like a mass of a soldier. Anywhere, you know, <laughs> like even in America, sometimes you know, put uniforms on you. Social right. sometimes it's social uniforms. In reality, we are all individual and we are all abnormal. That is the truth. That's what I find out. And the education is try to pretend that everybody are normal. Mm -hmm. like, and everyone's the same. Try to like stamp out everybody uh, into equals of the sameness. Mm. And then, if you think about education, 
modern education, it is for trying to fulfill the kind of industrial revolution and try to like fit the job demands of the society, training craftsmen. So that create a contradiction sometimes in terms of uh, education, yes. especially in Asia, I think. Because in Asia, when we talk about educations, we are also trying to think about like Confucius, like they basically try to teach you how to be a man, how to be a person rather than being a craftsman. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. So sometimes I, I would see teacher uh, having dilemma because mm. they internally, especially Asian teacher, internally they try to oh, teach the kid how to be a person and then they, the kid ended Very up- moralistically. Yeah, now. ended up hated you because like, I don't need another dad. Yes, I don't need another dad. I don't need another mom. <laughs> I hear this every single day. Yes. What the <laughs> Please, what? I need a fucking break. Yeah, just give me a job. <laughs> <laughs> just tell me what to do. <laughs> I just want to graduate, huh? Exactly. Okay. I need to make some money so I don't have to listen to my parents anymore. Yes. So yeah. I just learned it on the go. I didn't have this luck of going to an education university. Mm, right. But I, I wanted to be a great teacher like all my teachers before. So that's the why I started. Role models yeah. that you looked up to. You wanted yes. to kind of emulate that. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think about like the teachers that I hate. And right. I think about the teachers that I like. And then I ask myself, why do I like him or her? Yeah. That's the process, right? I mean, yeah. it's so simple. But it's so difficult in certain systems where they don't even train you those basic building blocks of how to think. And also in terms of uh, how many students you have, right? If you don't have that many students, of course, you can have high quality of uh, communication. But if you're running a class of like 200. Yeah, you have to teach in a different way. Yeah. Right. Just kind of talking to yourself. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just like the sound of your own voice yes. reverberating through these hallowed halls. Hello, right? Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think is the intersection between education and art? You know, both of those play a very important role in your life uh, as an artist and an educator. Do you think there's a lot of overlap to that, a lot of synergy to that, or do you think they are the two different things that coalesce into one thing, or do you think of these things as two very separate things? I think it's art is a, is a very special thing. If you think about one's uh, position in the world, there's no platform for your own voice. I mean, you have to be, I don't know, a writer, or you have to be some kind of special skills in order to achieve some kind of platform for self-expression. But art allows anybody, even you build a pool, you can still use your pool skills to express yourself. So you have a voice in the society, you have a voice in the world. You, you don't even have to exhibit. Right, but now now it's much easier because of the internet, with the NFT, and as well as like, like website and all that, mm -hmm. Instagram. Right, in the future, of course, will be even more. But in terms of education, like what I said before, it is not your desire. It is like the system, the matrix, is controlling you, controlling society. It's the government, it's the politics that is uh, brainwashing you. You're in this matrix and you have no choice. You don't want to go to school, but somehow you're there. So mm. you end up a lot of people don't deserve to be there, don't want to be there, are there. Right, definitely. That's, that's I, high school, right? 100%, yeah. And that's it's increasingly college in the United States, especially, right? With the right. poor economic situation in the United States. And they pretty much need anyone who has a nice wallet from around the world to come. Education become a business. It has become a total business in the United States, yes. big time. And they are forced to learn something they don't want to learn. Like when I talk about Hong Kong, for example, Hong Kong have become like a surface uh, society. So all the 
design and technology rooms got demolished. All the wood shops, they mm. used to have wood shops and metal shops and all gone. I just put computers in there. And there's a, in, also in Hong Kong, of course, this tradition of looking down at the blue collar people. The people who actually use their hands to make a living. That's right. It's because it's so easy to make a lot of money uh, through like banking or i-banking, that sort of. Uh, so you have this kind of uh, salary discrepancy that's going on. If you wear a suit, it's like upper class. <laughs> and, then, and then if you're, I don't know, interior decorator, then and you'll be uh, locked down there. So I think in terms of education is an art. Art then totally frees you. It allows you to, to explore any issues, any concepts in the whole universe. And although that issue can be very small for others, but it's very big for you. Mm. So it's very my new thing to magnify this very my new thing into the largest thing in the world. And people would appreciate that. Yeah, so we're not talking about job right. here. Like, because usually when one encounter another, we all usually, usually would say, oh, what, what do you do? Yeah, what do you do? Mm. <laughs> and then I would say, I'm an artist. Oh. And then the other guy would say, no, no, really, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> but how do you make money? Yeah, like what's, like, I, mean, I mean, what's the job? <laughs> it's like, fuck you, man, I'm an artist. <laughs> Did you hear? <laughs> oh boy, I still get that. All right. <laughs> Speaking of that, was there a time where you kind of transitioned into maybe being comfortable calling yourself an artist or thinking of yourself as an artist full time? I did. Before, of course, I dare not because <laughs> Hong Kong is so expensive, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you proclaim that you're going to be an artist as well as full time, then it's like, it's like formally proclaim that you're going to be a beggar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm too pragmatic. And then, of course, I, I think a multiple career is a safe way to do. So I was uh, working as an architectural designer and the nighttime I'll be like doing art mm. and, and seek out um, a platform that allows me to truly become myself. And I find that in installation arts, mm. in, in uh, making like sculptures mm. in Hong Kong. So, so I kind of developed my own career. So I, I, I set up my own company as well as working in another architectural firm, mm. as well as developing my art career. So I only sleep very little back then. <laughs> right. So that's even before this kind of gig economy nowadays, right? But oh. you were basically doing that same thing. You were hustling. I mean, just trying I, to do anything I, I was again. hustling to become myself. I wasn't hustling for, okay, Christie auction. <laughs> it doesn't exist back then. If you pull out a show, maybe 50 people see it, sees it and that's it, mm. you know, back in the 90s. So I practiced in architecture and then after a while, it just got really repetitive to a point that I can just do it with my left hand with one eye closed. It's just got re really meaningless. I, and then I find out like my inner desire wasn't satisfied. You know, I think everybody should listen to their own voice and your body will tell you, it's like, and then you become a hustler. It's like, what's going on? Right, 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 <laughs> you know, right. You're look, always looking for, because if you are content, you won't become a hustler, right? You, yeah. you will satisfied. So where do you think that inner drive comes from for you because you know there's a lot of young people who they have that doubt within themselves that they have that drive so what would you say to those people who say i don't have a drive i don't have any kind of motivation and and where does that come for for you yourself can you look back on your life and point to something or do you think there's a reason why you have this fire i think uh the feeling of being loved Everybody enjoy that, right? Love, it's a good feeling. Love is a beautiful thing. It is. <laughs> I think as an artist, it's like being loved. You put your stuff there, whoever comes in, 
already loved you accidentally. Right. <laughs> they're forced to love you <laughs> because they're looking. Of course, now you get this is the like or thumbs up button. Right. Exactly. The, the version zero point five. Right. <laughs> Before Facebook, before and, Facebook, and all right, that. exactly. And now, now I think teenagers and and youngsters can get their likes and being loved feeling through many social media channel. But it's still not the same, right? For example, like uh, you interview me, I feel being loved. Right? I feel the same thing. Yeah, this is a long interview, and yeah. and this is very in depth. Right. When when is the last chance? Last time you have a chance experiencing that. Exactly. Somebody want to like really listen to your inner voice. Exactly. It's a zero. Connection. Usually it's like zero. Nobody want to listen or care. But as an artist, it allows you to uh, have the opportunity to be interviewed, mm. to to force you to examine yourself, to take stand and you know, say something that makes sense. To articulate yourself, to be able to defend your own views or your own thoughts right. or your own process when you're creating art or exactly. educating. or Yeah, to make sense of this, this wild, wild world. And uh, so that's why I think in terms of your question, education and art, I think it's two different things. When you talk about education, it's more like career, mm -hmm. a job kind of path. That's how you make your living, mm. right? But in terms of art, it becomes really personal. Mm. It's like a personal development and it's almost like spiritual. It's almost like a Zen thing, very internal. But this internal thing can be shared, mm. can bring you other bonuses, right? Even if they don't come in, like no one buy your work, no one no one care, no one exhibition have no one attend. <laughs> right. You still earn something. <laughs> right. Because something deep down from your heart, from your mind now came out into this physical sculpture, into this painting, into this movie. Exactly. Right? Taking that risk, right, is more than what most people do in their yeah, it's daily like lives. Taking, it's like, like taking the rock out of your, your heart and then some, now you can see it. It's more like uh, art therapy of yourself mm. through this process of art making and it's, it's uh, meditative and also healing. So that's why it's cool to do art, right? That's because there's no right or wrong, and it is uh, something that you cannot compare. Mm. That's the that's the most important thing. It's like right. it's not like oh look at Casey's work is better than King or King is better. It's not it's not like that. It's like you have to compare to yourself. Exactly. What's my last work? What's my current work? What's my future work? And that's how you progress. Hundred percent. How can you improve yourself each day? How can you maximize your own potential? Yeah. So right. I think I think being an artist is a is similar to become like a detective. Of course, the the subject of investigation is yourself and the meaning of of life vis-a-vis -vis yourself. Yep. Right. So in that way, you are educating yourself. Right. So it's not like decoration. It's like investigation of yourself, and through this process, you learn about yourself. It's a feedback loop. It's a feedback loop. Exactly. Yeah. You're expressing and reflecting and expressing and reflecting and hopefully going in a positive direction. Yeah. So when did your art take a political turn? So I think if anyone sees you nowadays- <laughs> uh, Political artist, Casey Wong, <laughs> exactly. in exile. <laughs> that is the title, uh, is the political artist in exile, uh, the Hong Kong political artist in exile in Taiwan. He can never Taiwan. return to Hong Kong, poor him. Yeah, so when did your art take a political turn? I f think officially it can be uh, count as 2011 when the mainland artist, uh, Chinese artist Ai Weiwei was, uh, was kidnapped by the Chinese Communist Party. Ai Weiwei, a giant of art. Of course, he, he's, my, he's my idol. Mm, yeah. 
His father was a uh, renowned poet as well back in the day, right? As well as a high-ranking Communist Party member. <laughs> exactly, and and got sent to the countryside as well. I mean, his stories, yeah. Yes. Like many of that generation, it's really crazy. Yeah, being purged. Yeah. So we, at that time, Hong Kong artists came out and protest for his immediate release. And uh, I think he's... Reading about his story triggered me to rethink about my position back then in Hong Kong. Mm. I can see the gate of freedom is being slammed shut through his experience. I starting to have this sense of urgency and I start to realize this is a war on culture, war on Hong Kong culture and super dangerous time. So instead of uh, focusing on show-show related issues, I think it's time for me to directly commentate about politics through mm. my artwork. Mm. Because before 2011, my mm -hmm. work was about uh, homelessness, it was about architectural space, for example. Still show-show related, but it's not- Deeply political. Yeah, it's not like directly uh, engaging the, the point of politics. But Ai Weiwei have a great saying about everything is art, everything is politics. Now, the first line is easy to understand, right? Mm -hmm. We all want our girlfriend to be artistically mm -hmm. uh, shaped. <laughs> but the second line is more difficult. Why everything is politics? Mm. And now I understand because like growing up in China, in communist-controlled China, of course everything is political. Yeah, it's like North Korea. But if you put it in, into the context of the world, then you realize, hey, the price of the coffee beans, uh, the price of the uh, real estate, is all relating to the political uh, policies. Right. Even like crossing a road, red mm. light, red mm -hmm. light, you stop, green light, you go. Exactly, the laws. The law said so. So that uh, saying is a uh, like kind of mind uh, opening for me. Mm -hmm. yeah. In 2011. 2011, okay. yeah. Um, and then after that, the umbrella of movement, I believe in 2014, right? That's right. That was uh, Occupy Central movement of uh, 2014, and uh, I participated in that, and it lasts about three months. Okay. It was uh, cracked down by the riot police. Right. That was towards the end of the year, right? I think September to December, some winter time. But that period is a, is a great uh, experience now looking back in terms of education. It all started with uh, uh, Joshua Wong, you know, launching yeah. protests against the brainwashing education. Young gentleman. I mean, he was, I think, in, only in high school back in those days, right? Yeah, poor guy. He's still in jail now. Of course, I want to support him as an educator. A lot of professors uh, joined together to form this uh, mobile democratic academia. You know, of course, the students were boycotting the school, but we want to continue to you know, teach the students. So I actually uh, went to these kind of events and uh, uh, gave a lecture in front of the government house in Hong Kong. And some of my students came and it was wonderful. Wow. Yeah, and I think kind of looking back on it, especially after seeing the other ones more recently, that the 2014 ones had more of a sense of hope. Maybe some people might say a sense of naivete yes. compared to what happened more recently. Do you think the same thing? What are your kind of big takeaways from that? Or your I think it's a level of maturity in terms of civil disobedience, right? The 2014 Umbrella Movement follows the traditional kind of civil a movement of like Martin Luther King, nonviolence, nonviolence, and a lot of love. And, yeah, a lot of love and, and peace. And when the police come, you just sit and wait for them to arrest you as a form of respect of the law. Right, more passively. Yeah, civil disobedience. And the, the 2019 is a continuous development of the civil disobedience, which we call uncivil disobedience. Mm. Uh, in Chinese, 武力抗争, 就是 
because the law is already unjust. Like 2019, for example, the Hong Kong government, the proxy government, was trying to pass the law that extradite people back to mainland China into prosecution and courts. That was interesting because that's a Taiwan connection, right? Originally, that case was a, was a murder case that right. happened in Taiwan. That's but right. They added mainland China to that list. This is totally not fair. We all know there's no law and order in China. It's scary. I mean, if you got processed there, goodbye, you might may, you may, may as well just vanish into the air. So, of course, the Hong Kong people don't agree with this, and, and they went out and protest. And uh, if we look back the 10 years before 2019, I mean, there was a lot of protests in mm. Hong Kong. And obviously, the government just don't listen. It is not like the Hong Kong people are not peaceful. We tried. So that's why uh, the media, you see a lot of Molotov cocktails being thrown, breaks being thrown, and uh, barricade being set up. For me, because the law is already unjust, you'll be a fool if you listen to it. And you'll be a culprit if you follow this unjust law. You are helping the evil government if you do that. So you must monitor the government and fulfill your civic duty as a citizens mm -hmm. of, the, of the society. And that's why a lot of people came out. Right. People were in some way, you think, forced to become more politically engaged because a lot of those freedoms or rights were being slowly eroded. Oh, it was drastically eroded mm -hmm. when I was there. Uh, I witnessed the whole thing. I mean, we couldn't believe it. Unfortunately, this is, this is uh, the Communist Party is a continuously expanding system, mm -hmm. as we uh, recently witnessed in the uh, Russian uh, expansion into Ukraine. It's a similar thing. Yeah. There was also the case of the uh, Causeway Books. Causeway Bay book uh, right. kidnap. One of the booksellers now is resettled in Taipei. Uh, Mr. Lam Wing K. So all these uh, things that we didn't experience before, kidnapping from the states and forced news, police corruption and violence, it just happened really fast. Mm. Uh, police and gangster joint venture, call the police station, they don't pick up the phone, they don't come, they pretend uh, not seeing. So this is uh, totally unacceptable. That's why it caused more and more people to come out to the street to protest. It is not really like uh, directly about democracy or, or freedom. It's the fundamentals of morality, right? When you see the, the police like violently beat up a teenager, mm. violently beat up pregnant women, violently beat up old people or a dead body found floating on the ocean. So, I mean, it happens. So very, very sad. So you played a pretty pivotal role, right? Uh, last time you came by, you were telling me stories about that. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you taught at Hong Kong Polytechnic University, yes. which became quite famous because... Uh, of the siege of the Polytechnic University. There was a siege. Were you there at that time? I was uh, the outside. I was before the siege, trying to help and see what... I can help and then I try to find posts for myself. Mm. <laughs> you know, this kind of uh, people movement, there was never uh, like a central command. The Chinese Communist Party, they always like, oh, it's foreign. It's organized, it's by, organized the, yeah. by the foreign uh, power. And right. it wasn't like that. It was all <laughs> uh, just like from the bottom up. Yeah, improvising. Improvising. I, I went there and people already bringing supplies there. I know the place because I taught there for like a decade. So it's like, mm, what can I do? I asked myself, what can I do 
and if shit hit the fans, I can like run really fast. <laughs> right. You know, I, yeah. You have to have plan A and B. And that's C. right. Yep. That's right. You know, shit can happen. So I decided to direct traffic on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very important role. Very important role. Very because important a lot role. of people logistics. Like, they came in uh, with the motorcycle to donate uh, gasolines and, and they don't know where to park because it's like the first time they come into the campus. Yeah. So these students are coming in and out of campus. They're not only students, all kind of people, old, young and old. And because the, the siege was happened before was Chinese university. Right. So all those supplies just went to Polytechnic University. They got transferred. They got transferred. Okay. Yeah. What were the uh, worst things you saw during that time? I think the worst thing I saw is the police violence and mm. the total corruption of the Hong Kong police force. Uh, some of them were, I can, I can tell they are not from Hong Kong. They're actually mainland infiltrators because they don't even speak Cantonese. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right language, as we yeah, said. Yeah, it was very caught important. on camera. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. They can't keep their mouth shut. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Were you engaging in resistance art at that time as well? I, I was, I was. Because I was mentioning, right, Hong Kong from 2014 is a kind of traditional method of civil disobedience. And then it mutated and developed into the uncivil disobedience. The uncivil disobedience is totally different tactics. It's all about hiding your identity. It's all about be water. Right. Right. You do Briefly, your thing. Yeah. You, yeah. You do your thing. You go with the flow, and then you bring down nutrients from the top to the bottom, mm. like water, so there's the life can grow. Right. Be water doesn't mean you just kind of dissipate and you just run, run away. <laughs> yeah, right? you don't just float flat. <laughs> you just float flat. You because you know uh, what's right and wrong because you have the knowledge. All right. For example, some of those uh, protesters they attack shops that support Chinese communism. They even attack some of those uh, gangster gambling joints. So it's not like random sacking of like Calvin Klein jeans <laughs> or <laughs> right. LED mod. It wasn't just looting. Yeah, right. so it's a very different concept. This is something totally extraordinary because once you talk about rioting and looting the two, these two English words, mm. for all Americans, you kind of like think about, oh, is the jeans shop being, right. <laughs> or is the LED uh, monitor being uh, taken away? <laughs> right. <laughs> This shit didn't happen in Hong Kong. It's a crazy kind of thing. People would go into a shop and then they would put money in there and when they take a <laughs> bottle of water. And the, right. the police didn't do that. The police went in and actually stole water and being caught on the CCTV. On, on camera. This is different kind of, uh, if you call it rioters. And then, of course, uh, uh, you see some kind of uh, violent, but I think a lot of people confuses the term violent versus the term martial, martial force. Yeah, can you explain that? Do you know why people call Kung Fu or Karate martial arts? Mm. Why, why, why is there an arts behind mm. the word martial? Right, <laughs> war and art. Why don't they really call it like uh, martial violent, right. violent ma martial? What's the difference, mm. right? There must be a difference otherwise. What, you learn Kung Fu to be like violent? <laughs> right, exactly, there's a difference, there's right? There's a difference, right? The difference is martial arts is something you controlled. It's a force that you control. It's discipline. There's a discipline, there's a wisdom behind the force. When to use it, how to use it, 
where to use it. It's not like a random shot of like uh, abusive uh, behavior that you got angry, you punched the drywall outside of the toilet. <laughs> like teenagers that's do that. That's not an art. That's not art, man. Right. You will look at that hole, it's like, ooh, that's like martial arts. <laughs> if that's martial arts, you don't have to like uh, exam for the black belt. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you just go out there randomly, destroy things. So. The civil disobedience is about that. It's a controlled types of uh, martial uh, force that is like pinpoint delivered. For a certain purpose. For a certain purpose. Right. Like the roadblock, for example, is to deter the, the violent police advancement. Mm. The attack of the shops is not to loot their things, but because these scarf shops actually a proxy of the Chinese Communist Party that ends our democratic free life. You know, this is a warning. Right, and also the cocktails being thrown, they often miss. <laughs> mm, right, yeah, they're more they're more like a visual effects thing right, <laughs> than a effective uh, thing. So in a way, the use of force is so unbalanced. We're talking about the police are using the, a lot of advanced weapons, sometimes real guns. And some of the protester was really shot and hurt, and even the, the rubber bullets. I actually did a calculation because I'm a I was a war game teacher for 20 years in Hong Kong, so I'm, mm. I'm like specialized in air gun. And I find out those uh, rubber bullets, the the juice, the velocity is super high. Although you call them non-lethal weapons, but they're like fucking lethal. Right. You got shot by it. And some people, some protesters lost their eyes. So of course it doesn't penetrate into your body, but it can break your bones. It can, I mean, they, the police just fire them at random. It's so scary at the, at the latest stage of 2019 because the police totally lost their discipline. And this is, uh, that's why I call them violent police. They are not martial at all. They just There's kind no of, discipline. They, There's no they become like an animal of their emotion. And that's why the, the video caught them like beating young kids, tackling young girls, like, you know, beating uh, pregnant women. And it's totally going out of hand, especially when, they're, when their uh, uh, initials were concealed. Right. Yeah, that was happening too. Yeah. Yeah, pretty quickly. They just took those off. Took and, those off them. Yep. There's no responsibility. So towards the end of this, what made you decide that you needed to leave Hong Kong, this home of yours, uh, you know, the place where you were raised, uh, yes. the place where you came back after those years studying abroad and then coming back and creating this uh, professional path for yourself and also this uh, even more personal development and then undergoing these kind of radical political changes in Hong Kong. And then towards the end of 2000, I guess, 1920 yeah. uh, is when, you know, it really became quite dire, yes. uh, you know. Especially the when world. they passed the uh, national security law is a changing uh, factor because they, they can uh, use that on anything. It can be personal posts on Facebook and it's like inciting. <laughs> inciting violence against violence the state. Violence against the state. Yeah. Or uh, you know the, the the country will kind of be broken because you post something on the Facebook, right? <laughs> so yeah. crazy. Or man. creating a passport. <laughs> I mean, that's that's something more. That's something more substantial, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I'm yeah, not. Exactly. I'm, I'm, but I'm talking about like wearing a T-shirt or mm. like putting a yellow color face mask. I mean, it's even literally just being in a place, right? Yeah, like just geolocating place. someone and that's saying right. you were there. Yep. How do you defend this? Why were you there? You have to prove you're innocent. So totally uh, a game changer. And it, for me, it's not a law. For me, it's just kind of breaking the law. So self-censorship is the side effect of those. People start to like not speaking out and then the eradication of 
Meteors, the Apple Daily got shut down. Oh, Jimmy Lai. Jimmy Lai is still in jail, as well as many other uh, critical uh, media. Commentators, one, media, any Commentator, one by one, uh, got arrested. For me, the triggering event is uh, on 2021. That's last year, at the beginning of the year, there was an event of uh, the arrest of 47 legislators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of them are lawmakers. They're all kind of educated intellect and they are like people elected uh, um, representatives mm. and they got arrested. Now, for me, this is a game, super duper game changer. I mean, that's like the collapse of the state. Basically. Yeah, it's a collapse of the state. You arrest those people. That, what's that mean in the future? That means no law, no order. The kind of law that we uh, enjoy, the common law, will no longer exist. In the past, all right, if you run into the law, then you have a chance to defend yourself by hiring a lawyer. And look at the lawyers. Now the lawyer's in jail. Yeah. <laughs> What's the, that mean? Right. If the lawyers are in jail, that's, that's not good. That's it, man. That, yep. mean, that means uh, in the future, there's no law, no order. And uh, it's all guanxi in the future. Right. Relationship and yep. connection. Yep. I mean, if you're a, a triad member or if you uh, have close connections with the Chinese Communist Party members, then you're all set. But if you are just a common Joe, you know, good luck. There, there will be no human rights for you. I mean, just, as you paint this picture for me, I'm, I'm getting claustrophobic just listening to this. So I can imagine your feeling like psychically, psychologically as a human being, this immense pressure that's coming immense from pressure. every direction. This, this pressure uh, builds up ever since 2014 because I, I, I witnessed the first hand, the kind of violence that police, you know, sometimes they would send out like try people to beat up protesters mm. and then they would escort them away. The, and then without pressing charges. The gangsters. Just, yeah, just like right. escort them away on taxi. Mm. <laughs> Say bye. Oh man. No, yeah. So, so the so unfair and, and this kind of uh, uh, things builds up on you. And so that's why when I was uh, like two years after 2014, I start to feel the emotionally there's something wrong with me because mm-hmm. uh there's a long period of feeling loneliness now, hong kong is a busy place you see a lot of people but that kind of uh, it's a special kind of loneliness because it's dealing with the fundamentals of morality if the fundamental of your morality is starting to collapse it can cause a lot of problem right. on the individual right and that's what i experienced what i believe is right become wrong so so order becomes disorder that's right and then that's why uh, that's when i decided to seek counseling service wow yeah back then back then so you were so now i'm not crazy okay you got (laughs) it's all fixed it's all fixed it's okay i'm all right i'm all right i promise yeah (laughs) why am i here So what was the final kind of breaking point where you decided, so, you know, if anyone looks at your story nowadays, they will hear that Wong immigrated to Taiwan in July 2021 (laughs) due to the crackdown in Hong Kong under the national security law. I've seen somewhere else that says Casey Wong without telling anyone suddenly just disappeared. I also heard the story last time that you came here. Yes. Can you please tell us this story, that decision-making process? When did you kind of realize that you needed to get out of Hong Kong? And then was Taiwan your only choice? Did you have other choices? How did this process go oh, about? This, this process is kind of like uh, planning your own funeral. But mm. in terms of militarily uh, speaking, it's basically uh, 
designing your escape and evasion plan. So I'm fortunate I got a chance to do that. Other less fortunate brothers, you know, the police would just knock on their doors 5 a.m. in the morning and they just barge into your place, take your computer and cell phones and put you in jail. And you had this fear always, every always. day. Always. Every the day. The whole fucking year I was living like that. I was like checking my sex. I was using all my military uh, training into daily life. Oh, man. Can you believe? Always looking over your back. Always looking over your back. You know, when I engage somebody, I'll check, make sure this guy is not undercover cops. Right. And uh, make sure I'm not tailed. That's not life. That's so stressful. So stressful. And then I start seeing like people like basically snatched. Right. Your friends. You your friends. people who are literally getting snatched. Getting snatched. And then uh, people, uh, the police would come in and just took them to jail. So I prepare. I actually prepare before when I was, uh, when I came out for a protest, I actually uh, wrote down my lawyer's number uh, on my belly with a permanent marker every time I went out. Wow. On my belly on the right side, but I wrote it upside down because I heard, I heard some stories of how some young protesters got arrested and they get stripped naked and then they get beat up. Right. So badly, when their time to call their lawyer, they don't remember their lawyer's number. I don't want that to happen to me. Right. <laughs> so you prepare. So I prepare. every time I went out, I just I put the number. Now I, I, I can recite it. The number is 64616642. It's crazy. It's like a prison number. Yeah, that's, and, but of course, this uh, NGO got cracked down. Mm. Uh, and one of the founders of this humanitar humanitarian uh, lawyer service uh, was Dennis Ho, the singer. Mm. Yeah. And one of them is Hoi uh, Bo Kang, and uh, he was uh, stopped at the airport recently. Mm. Was, I think he was trying to go to Germany to uh, give uh, a teaching post, and then he was stopped at the airport. And then one of the cardinal was uh, the director of this uh, of this fund, and he was also arrested. So that whole period of the 2021, after the 47 uh, legislators, lawyers got arrested, I start planning. Of course, my initial kind of muscle reflection is to go to UK because I actually studied there for a year. Right. For my master. BNO. Uh, and I have BNO. I can like go there. I, I understand what's the meaning of living in UK. And uh, so I know that kind of lifestyle. But now a lot of uh, uh, Hong Kong uh, uh, in UK for the first time. Mm. I mean, these people... Even when they're traveling, they, they, they won't, you know, they won't choose UK as their choice. Right. It's they not would, comfortable. They, they would all go to Taiwan and, and Japan. Mm. <laughs> but of course, like going to UK is easy, but I was a, a war game instructor. I always instruct my students to think before you run. And also I dived before in case of panic, you've okay. got to stop, think before you act. So I have this uh, acronym in my mind, stop, mm. think act when you panic. So it's panic mode. Mm. Don't just run because you might run into enemy's barrel and lost your life that way. So I decided to, wait a minute, let's take the time to design my afterlife. <laughs> and I, I, I spent seven, seven days on that. I pretend Casey Wong is my client. <laughs> I'm like his military advisor and I'm his strategist and I have to, I have to plot a route for him. Better to have the name of the city, better yet to have the song inside that city as close as that. Okay. Then I will stop the okay. research. So it takes a, a week. 
Mm. That means, you know, first I went to UK right. <laughs> and search the whole of UK, which city, the, like for example, property price, the future, art scenes and all that. Okay. I mm. think it's important to run away from the Chinese Communist Party, but it's even more important what you're going to do after you successfully escape, because that is like not much longer for old people like me, maybe mm. 20 years. Mm. For younger people, they have like 50 years. What are they going to do as a exodus? In, the, in those 50 years. Right, the diaspora. Diaspora. So um, after looking at UK, and then I start looking at Taiwan because culturally it's so similar. You know, same language and- right. Traditional and Chinese. Tradi traditional Chinese, but of course, in terms of the arts, Taiwan have its very unique maturity mm. in terms of uh, resistance arts uh, because Kuomintang was suppressing the people here for a long, long time. Right, exactly. And therefore, the artist's intellect you know, have this resistance spirit much, much earlier than Hong Kong artists. So I start to uh, research on Taiwan and compare the two. And then I realize uh, the cost of living is not that high in here, mm -hmm. which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. That means uh, my little saving can last a long time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then I find out the exchange rate is like 3.56. One mm -hmm. uh, Hong Kong dollars is 3.56. I was like, what? I'm like, that's magic. I'm rich. I'm rich, finally. <laughs> Just by moving, I can be rich. I don't believe it is so unfair. <laughs> right. right. So, so you chose Taiwan. Yeah, I chose Taiwan. It's all these factors. Mm. You know, the most important factor is Taiwan can allow me to have this 100% of freedom of artistic expression. Because in all these kind of factors, you start to ask yourself, what do I really need? Is it like cheap building price or good food or high art culture? What do I really, really, really need? Right, you need to prioritize this matrix. Uh, of, otherwise you, mm -hmm. you got lost, right? Exactly. It can be any, anywhere. And then I, I, I asked myself that question. That's why it takes a long time because you have to reassess all your resources, including your health, including your, your, your money, financial situation. Financial situation in, not only you, but like your wife. Yeah, your need. family, your cat. My cat needs. Exactly. <laughs> Do I, can my cat adopt to Taiwan right. and start speaking Mandarin male? <laughs> exactly, yeah. That can be a, a trouble, right? Right. So, I, and then I, I find out uh, the one and most important thing is the 100% of artistic freedom of, of expression. Mm. And Taiwan have that. Taiwan is a true democratic country. What is a true democratic country? It allows different parties to rotate and it rotate a few times. Mm. And if you look at Japan, there's one party continuously dominating mm -hmm. the society the for 70 years. Right, the LDP. That's right. Yeah. So, and also the back then there was a coverage of the economists saying Taiwan is the most dangerous, dangerous. place on the planet Earth. I was like, yeah, that's yes, where I want to go. That's my kind of place. <laughs> that's my kind of place. It's different kind of uh, uh, ways of thinking because when there's a danger, there's opportunity. Mm -hmm. Of course, Hong Kong is the most dangerous place right now. Mm. It's not Taiwan. I, right. I knew that. Yes, <laughs> Hong Kong is the most dangerous place. Taiwan could be the most dangerous place, but not yet. Not yet. So there's a chance of making it safer. Then I can play a role because I, you know, I just came back from the front and my state collapsed. So I can share my experience here. I can make a poster. I can make an artwork like what I'm doing now. I'm having an exhibition in the center of Taipei in the Chiang Kai-shek Memorial 
hole. Ironically, right? The Chiang Kai-shek. That's right. Yeah, so... That's the uh, Guomindang. Guomindang. Yeah. And the whole Taiwan is changing right now. So this kind of uh, facing those uh, authoritarian governments in the past and trying to uh, live with it, trying to write it. So I think this is very good. Having a, for example, the show right now is the June 4th, 33rd anniversary kind of resistance show right at the center of Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall. Right, of Tiananmen. Yeah, so, so it's very uh, meaningful, I think, in terms of reminding us not to forget all these uh, common experience. The 228 incident where Kuomintang killed a lot of Taiwanese. Yes. The 1989, June 4th, Tiananmen Massacre, as well as the Hong Kong resistance. I mean, they seemingly like have no connections, right? But it's the same. For me, it's the same. Right. It's the same shit. It's the same authoritarian government, you know, cracking down, killing their own people, destroying democracy and freedom. All right. We must not let these people die in vain. Right. They got killed. I think in the past, uh, for example, uh, June 4th massacre, the point to take is always like, okay, oh, the young students, they got killed. Oh, what a pity. And then just stop there. Mm. We must like turn back a little bit and look at why are they there? What, what do they die for? Right. Did they die a meaningful way? They're dying for freedom and democracy. That's a, that's a meaningful way to die. And a lot of those voices will never be heard like now, right? right. Because they were real people with real, real, ide- people. real ideas and, and putting their life literally at stake for something. Right? Yes. But we will never be able to unfortunately hear those stories. So what we are doing is to empower them, to empower ourselves to use their story to empower our current course, our current contemporary course. And that's what I was doing in Hong Kong, you know, attending those uh, June 4th candlelight vigil. Vigils, yeah. And uh, although the, the, the spirit of the localism already on the rise, but for me, I don't see any contradictions because we only have one enemy. So what was your escape from Hong Kong like? Well, that was very uh, scary. Um, because uh, both choices are bad choices. You know, you get the ticket, it's one-way ticket, and uh, you have to decide what artwork to throw away and what artwork to keep. Cleaning your house, cleaning your, your studio, awful. Some of the studios, I literally uh, destroyed myself and then uh, sell it as scrap metals. And then I got like $150 back, Hong Kong dollars. I look at that, those $150 that I'm holding with my hands. I want to cry. Awful feelings. So that's why it's very similar to slowly preparing your funeral. And then you have to give some important machinery to your friends, but you can't tell them why. You have to kind of just, oh, I'm buying, I'm buying new stuff. You know, right. just, uh, you can have it for free. So it's the whole, the whole process of, because you don't want to pre-announce, like tell every, everybody, hey, listen. My funeral is next month. Yeah, I'm fucking leaving next week, next Thursday at five. You know, you, Nobody do that anymore. Right. Because they don't, know, they don't know who to trust. Yeah, it's dangerous. I mean, they, they might be informer or, or, you know, they slip off the tongue and then, and then you got intercepted at the, at the airport. That's a horrible feeling. So I was expecting interception at the airport. So what's that mean? Only two consequences. I rerun it in my mind. One is you successfully leave Hong Kong and brought the plane to Taiwan. But the price to pay is you can never go back to Hong Kong. Bad option. <laughs> Sad option. <laughs> but, but better than staying in Hong Kong. Another option is like 
directly go to jail like Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, right. You got intercepted at the immigration or you find your, your name on the blacklist and then they arrest you right there and then and you cannot board the plane and then you have to go through the grill of the prosecution process, which take a long time and then maybe three years in jail, bad options. So I went along, you know, my wife wasn't uh, with me. I still want somebody to uh, visit me in jail in just in case. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> to bring to me bubble gum. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bring me some books. So I went, went through the, the immigration. By that time, this is 2021 in July, already the immigration looked different. I noticed there are some young like muscle guy with the vest. They are not the traditional uh, white shirt, black trousers immigration officers. These are runners and catchers because I'm used to uh, notice these kind of things. So, okay, all right, it's my time. I went through the e, uh, e-ticketing, uh, e- e- ticketing, which requires you to put your thumb into the, the sensor. So I put my thumb into the sensor. Suddenly, there's a mo- the monitor, like I have a notification coming out. Please contact the nearest officers. I was like, shit. Oh, man. Fuck. That's so scary. So scary. My heart literally shrunk. Just dropped. Just dropped. And then I noticed a lady on the desk, 10 o'clock of me, start looking at me. Then I realized there must be some kind of linking uh, right. uh, device. She got the notification. Got notification. Then I was like, <clears throat> maybe my, my finger is too dry. Right. Tell myself, calm down, stop, think and act, right? Don't panic. Of course, the whole thing, my, my face was like poker face. So I put my thumb onto the like paper. They have this paper with some water next to the thumb thing. Okay, to wet your... To wet your thumb. I quickly wet my thumb and press hard this time again. <laughs> and then the gate magically opened. I cannot believe my luck. Wow. <laughs> that is literally the gate to heaven. Yeah, the fucking gate, the pearly gate, man. I was like so happy. Holy shit, while the person at the counter is looking at you and it's like- She's just no longer look at me anymore. Yeah, I'm just like, another douche. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the runner wow. didn't come to me. And then because I already told my wife to uh, stand by, don't leave the airport. If I don't call back in 20 minutes, execute plan B. Wow. You see, you have to like do all these plan A, plan B scenario. It's like anti-human. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But when you watch the uh, when you watch the movie, then it's it's fun, like wrong identity, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> but right, when you're right. Fucking living it is horrible. <laughs> I don't want to be. You're James. not getting paid twenty million dollars for this role. Pay. I don't want to be James Bond, man. I don't want the girls. <laughs> Please, <laughs> just let me go. So, wow. So I literally call my wife at the gate, and I, I just do a FaceTime with my wife. So, I was just telling her, I don't fucking believe it. I think it open. I'm, I'm free. I'm free. I'm fucking free. Wow. She was so happy. Everybody was so happy, right? My story didn't end there. <laughs> Unfortunately. There's more. There's more. And if you like the above broadcast, please dial. <laughs> please send Bitcoin to, <laughs> to Academia. All right. Now, welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. So, all right. I thought everything is okay. Um, luck, um, small potato, all this previous uh, worry was just uh, nothing. So I'm ready to go into my um, exile life. So kind of slowly walking to my gate, enjoying my last glimpse of Hong Kong. The gate to uh, Taiwan is like 43, like all the way at the end. Before I went to the gate, I, uh, I check out 
who's like sitting outside of the gate, and okay, not a lot of people because at that time, Taiwan was having its first wave mm, of COVID nineteen. Okay, uh, tourists cannot allow to go into the Taiwan just like right now. So unless you have like special uh, permits or citizens, then you can allow to go in. So I took a look at the people sitting outside; they all look normal. <laughs> you know, then I go to the to- I went to the toilet, and when I step out of the toilet, I noticed a guy almost like bump into me. He looked like a bad guy. You know, usually I check out how they look and what they're carrying, their hands. But of course, he didn't bump into me, so I kind of ignore him. And then I sat across, away from these people, the waiting guys, because that's how usually I make sure I'm not one of them in case <laughs> the net <laughs> right. fall from the sky or the trap opens from below. <laughs> so you can at least see your destiny, I can see, right? <laughs> And then I noticed the guy I almost bumped into were there, but this time, oh, wow. this time he have like three other younger companies, and they're all wearing these khaki pants, runner shoes, and like bags they wear across their chest, and they have no carry-on luggage. And I immediately know, immediately know, they are four-man team of police undercover. Oh man, they're sitting right across from you. Yeah, they're they're sitting. At where I'm sitting, because right. you no, know, they're like trained as like me, right, right, right. <laughs> so they won't, s- no, sit with the targets, sit away from the targets, because they're looking just like me. So I sat even even further away from them and took video of them. <laughs> wow. And um, and uh, there's like three guys and one girl. And then all right, boring time. Then they start line up. The four of them, they like twenty yards away from the gate and watching the gate, watching everybody boarding the gate. Then at that moment, I realized there's another blacklist. There's two blacklists. Later on, I find out mm. one blacklist was given to the uh, immigration. If you're on that list, then you stop right there. Game over. Game over. Direct to jail. Mm-hmm. Another blacklist was given to the airport company because when you abroad the plane, they will check your passport as well as your ticket. If you are stopped there, I think. For professional criminals, <laughs> they would probably just immediately snatch the passport and turn around and run. Right? Professionals do that. Right. And that's why the tackle wall of the four undercover police were there. <sighs> yeah. In case you turn around and run, they would just like yeah, f- chase you, know, you down, frank you, and tackle you and arrest you inside the terminal, whereas there's no reporter and no one can see your arrest. This is crazy because you are like just steps away from your freedom. Yes, man. Can you imagine? I was already like calling my wife, telling her, "Hey, yes, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Everything's okay. We were just worrying too much. But look at what I'm seeing right now. <sighs> wow. Fucking. So it's like another breathless experience. And uh, I, okay, I kind of wait until the very end, <laughs> and they're still there, looking at everybody. And okay, all right, so okay, just face it like a man. So I step up, and I I was using my Hong Kong SAR passport, and uh, they let me in. They didn't stop me. They didn't stop you. Yeah, they didn't stop me. I was small potato, <laughs> after <Wow> . all. <laughs> I was like so happy. Like this time is real happy. I mean, walking through that corridor, right? The sky bridge. Yeah, to the, the sky plane, bridge. That must be like a. Crazy memory etched into your mind. Yeah, you know what I did after I walked in. 
I turned around and I waved at the police. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> I did that. No way. I said, like, bye, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, you're crazy. <laughs> they could have still come on the fucking plane. I'm just, I just like. You were just that happy. I'm just, I gotta you let my like, emotion go, man. Yeah, it was like, that's too much emotions. Yeah, I gotta, otherwise, I just, you know, I just, I just, oh, man. I don't want anybody to experience that. Because after arriving <sighs> in Taiwan, I met another brother. And his brother asked me, hey, when you leave Hong Kong, did they copy down your name at the immigration? Huh. I was like, no. And then he said, they did that to me. Oh, wow. Are you Mr. Wong? Yeah, and then they start like, writing down the information. Wow. Yeah. So they let, they him, let, let him go, but they copy his... But like, just make sure you're never coming back. Yeah, they're just giving you, like, I know who the fuck you are, that yeah. kind of message. Exactly. Yeah, watch your back, you know. Exactly, like, plant a little chip in the head. I didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't have that. But I have the Taikong Bao and the Chinese propaganda newspaper uh, full page coverage. Oh, <laughs> did you? I did, I did. Really? Yeah, recently I have a, like uh, the first time I got that was a TED talk I gave in 2019. Yeah, I saw that TED talk. Yeah. yeah. In Vienna. Is in that right? Vienna, yes. Yes. That's right. Okay. And then another one when they, uh, they try to attack the art. Development Council, and then they, at the very end, they put a little paragraph of four lines about me. Uh, Casey Wong went to a foreign country called Austria. <laughs> what? <laughs> Collusion with foreign forces. Right. Oh, I got it. Yep. And uh, give a talk about this uh, protest arts and Hong Kong independence. I didn't talk about Hong Kong independence. Right. They, they made it up. It's, right. Oh, man. But of course, you don't want to argue with them. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And then recently, uh, I had a show in in UK, mm. and they did my my paragraph got bigger. Okay, <laughs> before it was just four line. Now I have a real paragraph <laughs> that measure about seven inches by like three inches. Okay. <laughs> so with with my uh, Taiwan show, I'm hoping to get a full coverage. A full coverage. This is what we're aiming for. That's what we're aiming for. Exactly. Endorsement from the party. Exactly. Thank you. Official endorsement. That's valuable. <laughs> You can take that to the grave with you. That's right. Like, Put it in the CV. Yeah, exactly. Show your grandchildren. Yeah, so so uh, that experience was super bad. I hope nobody should uh, have that experience, but I endured it. It's kind of fun to share with you now. Yeah. I need a beer. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to talk about it. Oh, wow. So finally, after all, you have made it in Taiwan. You have settled down uh, yes, in yes. the middle of the island somewhere yeah. in a hideaway. In a hideaway. Uh, in a secret location, <laughs> secret location that no one will ever find. <laughs> That's right. With a, a house and also a separate art warehouse, That's right. I believe. With a lot of CCTV. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a lot of self-defense mechanisms. That's so right. Don't even try. Don't, don't even, even try. try. Lots of baseball bets. Exactly. <laughs> A lot of wild dogs. Oh, yeah. I remember. You yeah. got bit by I a wild bit dog. One. I, got bit, I, got, I got bitten by one Taiwanese black dog. <laughs> so not all is good here. That's not scary. all is good here. Yeah. Yeah. Like really, really angry animals. <laughs> oh, wow. So how long have you been here now in Taiwan? 10 months. It's been 10 months. It's been 10 months. Wow. Okay. I know. That's it's time crazy. I saw you. Do I, do I look uh, happier now? Yes, you do. I did. Oh my goodness. Because when you first came, it was fresh. Yeah. And that story that you just told me was a lot, I darker. think a lot more darker and, and a lot darker, more yeah. pensive and uh, much more reflective. And then you also told a story about when you first settled down in somewhere in the middle of Taiwan in this city 
about some feeling about feeling like dust yeah, or something feeling, like this. The, the dust thing is, is like the feeling I had when I was in Hong Kong. It lasted for about a week. Because once I decided to leave Hong Kong for good, suddenly I, I felt like uh, everything is vanishing around me. It's a very, very sad uh, uh, emotional, psychological feeling. Because my mind was fearing that I'm going to lose Hong Kong forever. Mm. So I have this forced emotion of like my friends, the streets, the buildings, everything that I'm familiar with. It's like vanishing. Like when the wind blows, it will just kind of fade away except me. It's like that matrix, you know, guns, lots of guns. <laughs> it's like the white background. Mm. It's like suddenly the, your world just blew away and then you're just standing in this void. In a void. Yeah. Right. But that, thankfully, uh, I thinked it out. I thinked it out. I, really? I realized like, wait a minute. It's not like that. Okay. Yeah, it's not like uh, that Hong Kong will vanish. My Hong Kong is already non-exist. Oh, That's the truth. Right. The Hong Kong that I love will continue continuously to, to be inside of my memory as long as, as I remember it. And I'm a Hong Konger. You know, I will be Hong Kong. I am Hong Kong no matter where I am. That is the truth. The Hong Kong that I love right now is like a beautiful car, but the engine is being taken away, right? Mm. When you look at the, the Victoria Harbor, right? The, the, the Star Ferry. The Star Ferry is still beautiful mm -hmm. with IFC and all these buildings, the glittering sunsets. But do you want to be there? No, it's a beautiful prison. You don't want to be there. You don't want to worry about violent police like charging into your private property middle of the night. So I'm glad I thinked it out and understood what it really means to leave your home. And also when I was in, in the middle of Taiwan by myself for the six months before my wife and my cat arrived, it was very, very lonely because I haven't established the relationship with the city, with the streets. You know, I only established relationship with the furniture inside the apartment. Right, the sofa. <laughs> the sofa and the, the room, the toilets. And, but every day when I opened the door outside, I was like, what the hell am I Where doing am here? I? Where am I? That dreamy feeling, I mean, it's now disappearing. Okay. I mean, I really want to do a piece of artwork about that. But see, art is like that. It's like your first love. You cannot simulate. <laughs> right. You got to do it fresh. Otherwise, it's just kind of like lost it. Mm -hmm. yeah. But now I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Because my wife, my cats, uh, we have a nice reunion. And my wife already arrived for like four months already. By the time he arrived, I already set up a nice apartment for them. It's like kind of like a version two. <laughs> I remember that. I mean, when we were here, you were here alone. So, you know, and, and you were telling me the story about how your wife was there and that you were trying to figure out with, you know, help of the government or the gold card uh, office about right. how can I get my wife here? How can I get my cat here? Some possessions, is it possible to get here? And, and that's another worry, you know, about... Oh, that, that is very wor worrying. I was worrying that my artwork uh, would intercept by the communist proxy government. Because I see this whole thing as a war on culture, then I see my artwork as this kind of objects, valuable cultural objects that is like a time capsule of that resistance spirit. Right, it's an artifact. Yeah, I'm trying that. to save, I'm trying to save this. Not, not only like my private work, but it's the story of our people 
that must be protected rather than uh, being put into storage forever. And that's what happened to some of Ai Weiwei's work in right. M+. Plus. Right, yeah, exactly. The middle finger one? Yeah, yeah, his middle <laughs> finger series. Yeah. A beautiful series. <laughs> I think he had one uh, facing the Tiananmen Square. Oh, yeah. That one wasn't shown. That but, one was But the, the one that was facing the White House. That was fine. <laughs> that was fine. Come on. This and is then like, the Eiffel Tower. That's fine. That's fine. Come on. This is like, it's not art. Uh, it's right. politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> huh. So after all this time and after all those struggles, there is a happy ending that there you were able ending. to reunite with your wife, your yes. wife and cat, Ball Ball, were able to make it here with you in Taiwan and yes. you guys are able to start a new life here. Yes, that it is. It takes time. It's not. It's, I think it doesn't matter how strong mentally you are. Emotionally, we are all softy inside, right? And when you are alone facing the universe, you really have to cultivate your mind to to adopt. And only time can do that. Yeah. Right. Only time can heal, can ready you. You got to do your days mm. as a human living in a trap inside his physical human body. Mm. As you mentioned, the Taiwan that, uh, sorry, the Hong Kong that you knew and loved and grew up with is no longer there and will no longer ever be there again. No longer, yeah. Do you have hope that Hong Kong in some way can rebound and recreate itself in a different way, like the, the legendary phoenix, right, coming from the ashes? Yes. Um, do you think that that is possible or are you pretty pessimistic about It is happening future? right now. It is happening. Because a lot of Hong Kongers are immigrating away from Hong Kong. We're talking about the number can be more than a million. We're talking about thousands of teachers and thousands of like uh, medical workers. I mean, a lot of them are going to uh, UK. And this is not even the peak right now. This is just the beginning. So this uh, exodus of uh, diaspora will create a, a critical mass. Mm. in terms of uh, preservation of Hong Kong culture, reinvention of Hong Kong culture, and therefore maintaining that spirit of resistance, a longing for freedom and democracy. And it doesn't have to be in that one small concentrated space. Now it can be yes. like a web, yeah, a they, diaspora. They call, they call it the mm. flower blooming everywhere. So there's, there will be many small Hong Kong Mm. Uh, in in UK, all right. So and in Taiwan now. In Taiwan, and these people can speak freely, and they already did on the YouTube different kind of channels. But if you in Hong Kong, you cannot behave like that. So you have to self censored and so you are not complete in a way. Especially for someone like you who needs to be able to be free. What is freedom? Sometimes I ask myself. It is not like you can do anything you want, but you try to live fully and uh, completely at ease, right? You're not pretending. Right. There's no, nothing holding you back. It's self-actualization. So uh, in Hong Kong, I cannot do that. I mean, I, I mean, of course, Hong Kong in terms of all the material things, I mean, can provide. But there's one thing they, they cannot provide now, just like mainland China. I mean, if we look at mainland China, they seems to have every hardware, right? In the current society. That's right. But they're still locking down people. Mm. 
<laughs> Shanghai, yep. Shanghai, Beijing. So the kind of freedom,、uh, mental freedom, physical freedom, is very, very important to a human being.、Mm. And if you don't have that, you're in a way living a hand- handicapped life. Ghost in a shell. Ghost in the shell. I mean, I'm not trying to say this to sadden the people who are still staying in Hong Kong. Right. I think if you decided to stay in Hong Kong, there must be a reason, and、uh, there's still a, a role that you can play. So finding that role is important. If you don't, then you get lost. I have seen a lot of Hong Konger in Taiwan get lost. Right. So even necessarily gaining this physical freedom, quote unquote, doesn't necessarily、exactly. buy you that. Other freedom, yeah, because maybe the、uh, the freedom is not something they want. Exactly, right, right. I mean, there's so many worries. This diaspora, for example, identity, passports. I mean, the kind of investment uh, uh, process for Hong Kong to come to Taiwan requires like three years. Opening a physical shops, hiring two guys. Mm-hmm. And then running a, a business that is losing money, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. So yeah, so it's the, it's a very strange policy, and it, it's punishing, right. So I, I I ran into a few Hong Kongers. They they originally came to Taiwan through this path, and then they decided to go to UK instead. Oh wow! To save save the trouble. Couldn't make it work here. In my eyes, I think the Taiwan government missed it big time. They missed an opportunity. They missed. A huge opportunity. Huge opportunity. The huge uh, uh, opportunity to grab onto these、uh, valuable human resources. Why do you think that is, from your perspective? I、do、think you- I think the Taiwan government doesn't have this、uh, policy. They are kind of this vision. I mean, for example, Canada have this vision、yeah. to grab this kind of hum-、uh, tr- uh, important human resources. Yes. Another thing is the the fear of infiltration, which already happening. That's right. Right. Yeah. Right. And and communists、uh, posting as a Hong Konger and then try to、uh, sneak in to、uh, snatched、uh, valuable technological uh, uh, informations. Right. I mean, it's it's real. So for me, I think just to block off these people is overly simple. It's too coarse. The policy is important to put in a lot of apparatus to calm through these people. You take their resource. You take their wealth. As well as calm through their political background and also their future intentions, and Taiwan ha- should have this kind of mechanism. But, but that takes work. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think.、Uh, but now all these、uh, resources are going somewhere. I was going to Singapore. A lot of money and and、uh, talents are going to、uh, UK. The systems are, are very protective here. Exactly. Very conservative. Very, very conservative. Protective. Very protective. So、yeah. I don't know. I think、uh, retreating to Taiwan. Maybe would be a good strategy for rich people <laughs> that don't have any kids. <laughs> right, right. If you don't right, have right. any kids, if you are already rich, then welcome to Taiwan. Otherwise, you might want to <laughs> check Plan B and C and D first. Yeah, because another thing I notice is the education for the kids.、Mm-hmm. Right. I mean,、uh, some of the Hong Kong、uh, have kids, and then I was. And they are not even well off. They are already considering leaving Taiwan. Yeah, this is. Such I was a like, "What's going on, man?" Taiwan. The, yeah, I was like, "Why? Why? <sighs> what do you not like about Taiwan? Taiwan is for me is like wonderful、mm. because I came from hell, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and but for for them, they were saying like the salary is like low, and they are very practical, and they're worrying that if their kids. Went through Taiwan's university when it came out. When it come out, the salary is bad and、right. not high enough. And the education process for the Hong Kong kid 
based on what I heard, it's mm. awful. Oh yeah. I mean, they, they told me the, the girl came back home crying. <sighs> and then I was like, why? And then they said, it's like every students are so overly obedient. Whatever the, te the teachers say, so they, they just do it. They don't like ask for the better solution. So different than what we talked about before. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's a complete opposite. Yeah, the, the, slave the, mentality. The, the question of doubt. Yes, right? exactly. Versus uh, obedient. But that's beat out of kids from a young age. Yes. And so, then, yeah. so for them, for the kids, like, why am I learning this useless shit? Hundred percent. I'm just wasting my time. Hundred percent. Yeah. So, yep. so I, I mean, I don't have kids. I just feel sorry for him because he, he, they, 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 that family went through the whole trouble of coming here, and and now they and now regretting it in some way. Yeah, and now they're moving out. Oh, really? Yeah, they're planning to move out to get out of here. And yeah, he's and they are not the only one. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I have another friend uh, this this one is like super rich <laughs> <laughs> oh even though they're rich and they still want to get yeah. out oh shit so no not he, even rich people should come here <laughs> yeah because i was like why are you not why are you leaving and then he was saying about oh this country is so backwards oh i yep. was like why? Why, is... why and then everything you know he was we were drinking i think he's kind of drunk and then he just like spilled the beans horrible Every fucking thing, you know, he's basically saying that. Yeah, the law, everything. That's the not, education. That's no even sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> All the way to you cannot put the toilet paper into the the toilet. <laughs> even the plumbing got even attacked. The plumbing got attacked. Yeah. Oh, poor, poor. The real estate, the plumbing, the infrastructure, poor the education. Poor rich friend. <laughs> uh, these people have choices, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. So it's like uh, not so rich people do think about the kids, and and my f rich friends don't have kids, and still thinking about leaving, mm. because I think it's easier for them to go to UK, right? And they do have a choice; they can live anywhere in the world. Exactly, and just the ceiling is so much higher, right? Yeah. So so if I'm the Taiwanese government, I gotta think hard. Hundred percent. I think hard, right? I mean, sometimes I I, I read the comments on the go kart forums. And they, and they, these are professional people. They run in the same shit. Yes, this is the problem. This is so ironic. The Taiwanese government is trying to attract high-level talent through the gold card. Yes. But if they don't provide the resources, exactly. if they don't want to change or have those capabilities to enact those changes, then it actually can backfire very strongly because people can come here and be very disappointed, very angry, or and then they frustrated. go back and they just spread the news. They just, they just, just talk shit. Just talk shit, and they go to Singapore. Right, exactly. This is what Taiwan is facing right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really genuinely hope Taiwan government can join the international community, right? Because that's the only way, in my eyes, for the survival of Taiwan. Mm. Okay, to join the international community and kind of live the contemporary way without losing its own identity. I know, that's the biggest struggle, right? Especially for such a conservative culture, is that fear of losing something while yeah. also trying to look forward and progressing. Yeah, this is why when I, uh, the longer I stay here, the more I realize what Hong Kong is really about. That's why Hong Kong was such a unique place. You know, make me wonder why the people are so curious about the outside world. Mm. As a Hong Konger, which is very different uh, mentality when we unfairly compare with the Taiwan people, Taiwanese people. Right. But of course, uh, I'm just an outsider, small potato, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so an alien. 
my identity card start with A. <laughs> so um, yeah, this is just another alien uh, viewpoint. Right. Exactly. But those views are important, and yeah. the diversity of opinions and thoughts are important. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, North Korea is very harmonious. Right. Exactly. Remember that. It's easy to be harmonious <laughs> when everyone must think the same, right? Yeah. So, as especially government, my experience with Hong Kong proxy government, and I realize is, government, you got to watch watch it closely, monitor it, because mm. it, they are servants. Mm -hmm. A servant of the civic uh, society, we voted them to represent us, and then if they illy perform, vote them down. Right, they won't stay good forever. That's why we put into a system such as democratical system to um, control and safeguard against as, those exactly corruptions as well as like uh, power. I mean, when we look at Chiang Kai Shek, for example, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very good story. In the beginning, he was kind of like a, a freedom and democratic. Uh, hero, war hero, right? And yeah, then revolutionary. Revolutionary fighting the Japanese, fighting communists, and then retreated here, and then he just lingered to power. He became like a dictator. Right, and now has a nice memorial hall where <laughs> Casey Wong has a show right now. Yeah. Until? Until uh, June 12th. June 12th. So the Opening show? on June 1st. Okay, so opening uh, very Wednesday soon. Wednesday at 3 p.m. I will be there. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. because I have this uh, new work. It's called the uh, Living Deity, Sang San Xian. Ooh, nice. So I, I, um, I can cast uh, your political fortune using three coins, a turtle shells, and the 64 I Ching outcomes. Oh, damn. We're getting traditional here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but the temple uh, culture in Taiwan is very interesting. Mm, we were uh, talking about that before. Yeah, because the, uh, it's actually linked with politics as well as gangsters. Right, exactly. People might not know that. They might think they're nice religious people in the mountains. Oh, no, no, no. It's all politics. But it's deeper. It's deeper. Money laundering, you know, selling drugs and buying election tickets. And <laughs> really, it's really weird. I know, because anytime you go up to those temples, you'll see all these kids with tattoos. And yeah. like, you're like, wait, wait a minute. why do I always see these same guys <laughs> at every temple I go to? Make you think about what's God, right? <laughs> Exactly. Uh, God and gangs. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the US. God and guns. <laughs> well, I think, I think uh, so you can see my art is also maturing and starting to interact with the local culture. This is important because this is living artists do. Right. Right. Art is like an answer to the spirit of the time. Spirit of the time is like a question. You know, if you realize this question, then you answer it by your art. So that's why it's, uh, it's, it's uh, important to, to be sensitive about the society around you, to be curious about the world that is outside the continent that you're standing on and connect all these uh, dots together to formulate your own and you make sense out of this chaos. I guess if uh, we talk about education, we talk about language, and those are the kind of like basic ingredients that influenced me, allowed me to become Casey Wong. Right, exactly. We just came full circle from the very beginning. Yeah, and finally, uh, you need to have a platform to express yourself. Right. And I find it in art. You can find it in other places. Exactly. Yeah, it can be like, uh, you know, fixing furniture or uh, running a 
a language school, mm. right? It can be anything. Finding that role and finding that platform is important. Exactly. Yeah. And then just maximizing your potential and living your life. Yeah. Yeah. In a meaningful way. In a meaningful way. I would like to end with this uh, story. I think uh, it's, a, it's a good story. Uh, during 2014, the Umbrella Movement, I was sitting at the Occupy Zone for many nights. One day I met an old guy. He's like, must be 70 something, 80, just wearing shorts and underwear. And then he was like telling me his whole life story. You know, he, was, he grew up in Malaysia and then he was, his father was cheated by the Communist Party to go back to China to rebuild the country. You know, they used to be very rich and then they lost all their money and got perched during the Cultural Revolution. A lot of relatives died that way and tortured. And then he uh, escaped to Hong Kong, starting as a cleaner on the streets. And he was telling me, wow, you know, smell is awful. And, <laughs> but I'm so proud that I raised four of my kids. They all graduate from college. And then suddenly he, he, he changed his tone. And he said, if the Communist Party sent in the tanks, I will come out and block the tanks. And then he put his hand into his pocket and take out some pills. And then raised it in the air and said, he looked at the pills and said, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm just afraid of dying without a purpose. And I was just like sitting there looking at him like a god, dumbfound. And uh, that story stuck with me. Wow. Yeah. He's already an old guy. Of course, he's not afraid of dying because he's dying, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. But that's not the point. The, the point is, Dying without a purpose or dying for what purpose? Mm. Now that's design. That's important for everybody to uh, contemplate about. Dying for good cause. Dying for a good cause. Yes, dying for a good cause. And living with as much meaning as possible. That's right. Until that moment comes. Yeah, because everybody dies. Once we're born, we're facing death. Right, every Even single day. Every single day, eventually. We mm. just don't know when. But if you can choose when, or you can choose for what, then it's meaningful. Then yeah. it's not life in vain. So that's, what, that's the story of the old man. Wow. And I learned something from that. I hope you can learn something from that too. Exactly. Wow, that's a beautiful way to end it. I hope that uh, you do not meet that fate soon uh, and i do me too me too i wish to live a long uh, uh, meaningful life, life meaningful and a peaceful life. life yeah right and then when that day comes i'm sure you will be ready yes even if my physical life ends, i know for sure one day the communist the chinese communist party will end but my artwork will be still standing inside the museum my artwork and my spirit will outlive the Chinese Communist Party. I'm 100% sure. Casey's voice is here. You can listen to his voice again and again. <laughs> it will last forever. Just don't record it to a VHS. <laughs> or a cassette tape. <laughs> All right, Use thank a better you, technology. King. This is great. Uh, thank you so much, Casey, for coming up. I'm very happy to see you up in Taipei. And again, if anyone is in Taipei now until June 12th, Please go by the Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall in Taipei and check out Casey Wong's work. Um, otherwise, you can follow him at caseywong.com. And otherwise, uh, you can see his stuff and follow him there. Thank you. Thank you so much, Casey. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Peace. Peace. Peace, yo.